Well, it's great to be here this uh, morning. Um, I'm going to try and do what we did in the first service, but maybe a little bit better. Is that okay with you guys? <laughs> um, yeah, we're back from Cote d'Ivoire. We've been back for about two and a half months now. Um, as you guys know, mom died. We came back to help bury her on the 6th of July. And um, something I mentioned in the earlier service is that we have, in our living room, we have three big vases that full of all the petals of all the roses that you guys brought. And that reminds us every time we sit there that uh, you guys would have liked to have been there for that uh, memorial service because of this whole COVID stuff. You couldn't, and we understand that, and, but we're still very thankful for your support, not only of roses, but your support of our folks through all these years, and of my dad now. And uh, it's been, yeah, hard come back for that reason, but at the same time, uh, it was time for her to go. And uh, as one of my Ivorian friends told us after he heard the news, and we had 30 people sitting in our living room and back porch, he said, well, this is the normal way of things. A, a son should always bury his mother. It shouldn't be the other way around. And so we're thankful for that. Um, and as one of those guys said, uh, following uh, the announcement of my mother's death, he said, well, welcome to the club. I said, what club? The club of all those guys that don't have mothers anymore. And we get more and more every year, right? <laughs> so uh, that's the way life is. But uh, God is good through all that. And I want to talk a little bit about how God is good through all that. Um, but first of all, I just want to give you a brief idea of where COVID is at in Cote d'Ivoire. We got out because of the German embassy being able to get us on a humanitarian flight out of Cote d'Ivoire. Because um, we left the 1st of July and got into the United States the 4th of July. <clears throat> we had to spend two days in Brussels, which wasn't, it wasn't a problem. But um, yeah, as of... Uh, as of last week, we had 18,200 cases, confirmed cases of COVID in Cote d'Ivoire. Of course, it started out with a, you know, two or three, just like everywhere. Um, we've had 120 deaths. We've had over 17,000 recovered cases. And in Corogo, where we live, we've had two cases. Now, you've got to remember these are confirmed cases. And confirmed cases aren't the same as cases. Um, and in Cote d'Ivoire, we bury people all the time. We don't know why they died because, I mean, people die because we're human. And we're part of that race that sinned and, you know, death came into the world. And so we die. We're not going to get around that. In Cote d'Ivoire, people understand that. But it has created issues. Schools were closed. Um, the capital city was cordoned off. <coughs> we had... Um, we had a lot of restrictions. Um, school uh, stores were closed for a while. The market was shut down for a while. But as most things in Cote d'Ivoire, things got back into normal rhythms after a while. And things are, seem pretty normal right now in Cote d'Ivoire. Now, I'm not sure how long that's going to last. Um, there were some, In the beginning of COVID, they were saying over 300,000 no, 300 million people would die in Africa from COVID. Well, it's just not been the case. 
Or if it is the case, we're not noticing it. So part of the reason is because people die all the time. Another thing we have going on right now is the elections in Cote d'Ivoire. <coughs> we, were, we were supposed to go back about the 25th of October. The elections take place on the 31st or 30th of October, and so our team in Cote d'Ivoire said they've asked us to stay here until after the election, so we're probably going to go back in, in middle of November. And right now we have four candidates, well, we have more than four candidates. Either, these are the main candidates right now. Alassane Ouattara, who has been president for two terms now, he is now running for a third term, which if you know anything about African politics, that always poses a problem. I think it would here too. Yeah, because you're only allowed two terms, right? Yeah. And so uh, in, in 2016, the Constitution was changed. So the incumbent, Alassane Ouattara, says, well, <coughs> the Constitution was changed, and so we can, uh, I, I can run now in this new republic, which is very often the case in, in, in Africa. You change the Constitution, it then allows you to run again because it's a new republic. And uh, so that's, that's his argument. And uh, things aren't well. We have about... We have uh, over 10 people who have been killed in demonstrations in Cote d'Ivoire, so we've got, we've got some issues we're working through. And we have a team in Cote d'Ivoire, and we're concerned about them. If you've been following the news, middle of last month, there was a coup d'etat that took place in Mali. Um, the president was disposed, and uh, just yesterday he flew to, um, he flew to Dubai because he has some health issues. Um, the military has now taken over the country, and Mali is not in a good place. Mali is where the majority of the terrorist activity that goes on in West Africa, that's where they have their base in northern Mali. And so a weak government in Mali makes it difficult for other countries in West Africa. And then we recently, oops, I'm supposed to advance this, sorry about that. And then we recently had one of our colleagues, Sherry Kone, just pass away from malaria. She died last week. And that was a hard blow for us. We're a small team, and now we're smaller. And uh, this is a picture of her and her husband, uh, Gozier Kone. And that was a hard thing to see her go. And uh, she was a real encourager, and she just got too tired, and a case of malaria will do that to you. And so... It's been a hard time. And so I found myself asking this, these questions the last few days. God, what are you doing? What, what, what's going on? We're in the middle of elections. We've got, you know, this whole COVID stuff. Life just doesn't, it, it's like one of our colleagues in Cote d'Ivoire said the other day when, when he called me, he said, I just wish 2020 was over. I think a lot of people are thinking that way. Demonstrations here in Portland, the, just the stuff we're hearing about, the elections, all this stuff, it's, it's, it, it'll be good when it's over, <laughs> right? I'm not sure that things are going to get a lot better, though. And so I'd like, to, I'd like us to think a little bit about Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, you have uh, Jeremiah is in prison. And if you remember, Jeremiah is a prophet that began at the time of Josiah. Josiah was a, 
was this, the grandson of Manasseh. Manasseh was the worst, worst king that ever lived in Judah. He sacrificed his children to gods in the, in, in the temple. And so God had decided he was going to, you know, Judah is going to go into exile. And so Jeremiah comes along during the reign of Josiah. He begins to prophesy. Josiah made a lot of changes in the kingdom of Judah. He got people back into temple worship. He, got, he destroyed a lot of the gods that people had been following. But it was a little too, it was too little too late. And so Jeremiah is a prophet. Josiah dies, as you know, in a battle with, a king, with king Necho, who was a king of, uh, he was a pharaoh of, of uh, Egypt. And his son Jehoiakim becomes king. Then his son Jehoiakim becomes king. And finally, Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, becomes king, one of his sons. And Zedekiah didn't like the message of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was preaching that, that Babylon is going to take over Jerusalem. It's, it's, going to, it's going to take us into exile. We need to be ready for that. God's judgment is going to come. And Jeremiah, his message was not appreciated by Zedekiah, and Zedekiah threw him into prison. And we see Jeremiah. He is, is that water for me? Thanks. <laughs> this is great. Perfect. Yeah, I was choking there a little bit. Okay. Oh, perfect. So, you got Jeremiah. He's uh, in prison. And you start out in 32, and you see Zedekiah. He's, he's mad because... Jeremiah has been preaching that he's been, he's been telling people that the, this place is going to be destroyed. Of course, Zedekiah is a king. He's trying to hold this kingdom together. He's making alliances with guys left and right because Babylon is coming against him, and he, does, he doesn't like the message of Jeremiah, and so he throws him into prison. And so Jeremiah is in prison. Verse 6, we read this. I think it's 6. Let me see with my glasses here. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle is going to come to you and say, buy my field in Anatot, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, buy my field in Anatot in the territory of Benjamin, since it's your right to redeem it, possess it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field, Hanatot, Weighed out silver, gold, all this. You know. Anyway, so he buys it. Deeds written. Conclusion. And then after he bought that, he says, he says his prayer. Our sovereign Lord, verse 17. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. An outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show the love. You show love to thousands. Bring punishment to the parents. Sins and laps of the children after them. Great, mighty God, whose name is Almighty. Great are your purposes and mightier are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct, their deeds, deserves. You perform signs and wonders in Egypt. They continue to this day. 
Verse 24, see how the siege ramps are built up to take the city? Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given in the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened as you now see. Verse 25, and though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. It's like Jeremiah is saying, I got, I, I, okay, I did what you said I should do, but I don't understand. Why would you have me buy this field when Babylon, they're, in the midst, they're, in, they're, they're building siege ramps. This city is going to fall. You've been saying that for the last 16 years. Why do you want me to buy a field? He doesn't say that, but that's kind of implied in his prayer. You're saying to me, buy this field. I just don't get it. And have the deed signed. I mean, it's, it's all legal. It's mine now. But why? I mean, think about it. Why do you think people invest in property in the United States? That's a question. Since we're not on online. I want you to answer that question. Why do you think people come to this country and buy property? Investment. But why, why would they invest here? It's worth something. They know they can keep it. They think, it's what most Americans think, they believe that if I buy property in the United States, I'm going to be able to keep it. Nobody's going to say, well, you know, because it's Friday, all your property goes back to the government. Because we're a country of law, right? That's what we like to say. So it's a good investment to invest in the United States property. I don't see a lot of people run into Russia and invest in property. I don't see a lot of people run into Africa to invest in property. Matter of fact, we know in Cote d'Ivoire, if you invest in property... You're just, you just get it for a time. Matter of fact, in West Africa, we talk about a 99-year lease because that's what you're doing when you buy property. You're buying the right to use the property for 99 years, and then it goes back to either the village to whom it belongs or to the government. I mean, it's in, in, in rural... Land ownership is a real problem in Africa. Who owns the land? That's always a question. It's kind of it's a question here, too, but I think we've, kinda, we've got enough laws on the books that we think we own the land. <laughs> but anybody who has owned land knows that it's pretty much the land that owns you, <laughs> not you that owns the land, <laughs> because it then determines what you do with the rest of your life. But that's another discussion. So Jeremiah's got this question. Why is it that you're asking me to buy this land? And it's interesting, God's response to Jeremiah. He starts out by saying, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? That's an interesting way to start a conversation. Therefore, is what the Lord says. I'm about to give the city in the hands of the Babylonians, the Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, cap capture it. Babylonians who are attacking the city 
will come in and set set it on fire. They will burn it down along with the houses where the people are aroused my anger by burning incense on the roofs of Baal, by pouring out drink offerings to their gods. You are saying about this city, by the sword and famine plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Verse 37, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that, and that all will, do, will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. It continues in verse 42. This is what the Lord says. As I have brought All this great calamity on this people, so will I give them all the prosperity I have promised to them. Once more, fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is a desolate waste without people or animals, for it has been given into the hands of the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver, and deeds will be signed, sealed, and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, in all the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, in the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills, and of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. This is God's promise to Jeremiah. It's God's promise to his people. I will restore. Lands are going to be bought again. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, Jeremiah. I agree with you. It doesn't make sense for you to be buying a piece of property right now. You have a deed, it's signed, so who's it going to go to? Don't forget, Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, you do not marry. So Jeremiah had no offspring. So it really doesn't make sense. From a human point of view, it doesn't make sense that Jeremiah is told by God, go buy this property. But God was trying to say to the people, to Jeremiah, to King Zedekiah, yeah, this property, or this this city is going to fall. But there is a promise. I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God. And if it's going to take the fall of Jerusalem to make that happen, let it happen. You see, Zedekiah, he tried to escape. And in escaping, he was captured. He was taken to Riblah, where Nebuchadnezzar was. His eyes were, his, all of his sons were, were, were killed in front of him. Their throats were slit. He watched him die, and his eyes were plucked out, and he was taken to Babylon, along with the rest of the exiles. There was a very small remnant left in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar set up a governor called Gedaliah. And Gedaliah was assassinated by a man by the name of Ismael, who was of the royal, royal family. He was upset that Gedaliah was in place and not him. And it was a revolt against Nebuchadnezzar. And so 
Ismael, along with the rest of the remnant, and Jeremiah in tow, flee to Egypt. And part of Jeremiah's message to the people is, don't go to Egypt. Jeremiah goes with the people to Egypt. He's forced to, and he dies in Egypt, probably assassinated. And you scratch your head, and you wonder, well, God, how is this, tr- how is this so? You're gonna, this whole reestablishment, that's for another generation. It doesn't concern Jeremiah. But what's the reason? It's so that they will be my people and so that I will be their God. Because I am the sovereign Lord. There is no other God but me. And it makes me wonder, is not what we're going through right now a call from God that we make God, put God back in his place in our lives. I think many times God brings difficulties and trouble and, and, and disappointment in our, into our lives for that reason, so that we'd sit back, sit up and recognize God wants to be our God. He wants us to be his people. It's easy to get caught up in all the noise that we hear around us in this um, campaign or that issue. But is God our God? Is his word still, is, is it that that speaks to us or are we more in tune with the Facebook trends today? What is it, what is it, what it's driving us? What's giving us hope for a future? Jeremiah, he didn't have the nice, happy Hollywood conclusion that we like in North America. Whoops, what am I doing? Here we go, sorry. (laughs) So, where do I place my hope? Do we truly believe God has, has this? Paraglider friend of mine wrote one of his notes. He says, smooth sea never made a skillful mariner. And God is in a process of making us into the kind of people that, we, that can be useful, that can point other people to Christ. So I look at the problems we've had, the COVID, the um, you know, people dying because of... Uh, demonstrations, all the rest of the stuff that's going on. And I wonder, well, God, you, obviously you got something, something's going on. And I, I like what Jeremiah says later on, years, years later maybe. We don't know if it's actually Jeremiah who writes Lamentations, but we think that's probably who it was, or at least it was inspired by Jeremiah. It's inspired by God, but I mean, but you know what I mean. Anyway, he says this in in Lamentations 3, 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who seek him, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
Something to remember is that Jeremiah dies in Egypt, probably assassinated. And yet he writes this. This is his hope. And I often wonder, where have we placed our hope? Is our concern about COVID, is our concern about our nation, about what's happening in Portland, in Hillsboro, is it because we've lost sight of who our God is? Don't let yourself be fooled for one minute. Trump will not save this country, nor Biden. <laughs> it just isn't to be. God is our salvation. He always has been. He always will be. Let's not forget that. I'm not saying vote for Trump. I'm not saying vote for Biden. I, I don't care. What I do care about is, 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 is God our God? Are we his people? Or have we become somebody else's people? Have we become somebody else's thing? Let's not forget who we belong to. Jeremiah was in a tough spot. All the politicians of his day would have said, stop that message. It would have been a whole lot better for Jeremiah. He wouldn't have spent the last years of his life in a prison and then in Egypt in exile. And he may not have been uh, uh, assassinated later on. We don't know. But he did as God said. And his God remained his God. And he remained a people of the Most High. Today we read his prophecies because of his faithfulness. My prayer for me, my prayer for you, for Cote d'Ivoire, for our brothers and sisters around the world, is that we stay and remain God's people. And the world may, world may hate us for it. Let them. The world may love us for it. Let them. That doesn't matter. What matters is, are we God's people? And is he our God? Let's not forget where our priorities lie. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the prophecy of Jeremiah. I want to thank you, Father, for the courage you gave him to go through all those years of his life in which he saw so much suffering, so much destruction, so much disappointment, and in the end died in an exile, as an exile in a foreign country where he didn't know the language, the people, the culture, And yet he remained faithful. I pray, Father, that you would help us to do it likewise. To be people of the book. To be people who, regardless of what people are saying around us, regardless what the laws laws come, that, Father, we'd be faithful to you. We'd remember that our hope and our salvation come from you. Amen.